Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Today we're going to talk about Jesus from eternity to eternity. And so if you've been here, uh, you've heard some of the messages that I have preached, but those are not required to understand what we're going to discuss today because today is kind of a, a very interesting and fun subject in Scripture. But I also think it's really powerful when we grasp this truth in Scripture about, uh, about Christ, about Jesus. Okay, So what I think we're going to learn today, or what I hope you learn today, is, uh, is really important for the believer to understand. The vocabulary word for today, okay, is theophany. Theophany, okay? And the word theophany, it's a combination of two Greek words. And you guys have heard, uh, I just had an epiphany, right? Well, uh, that actually was derived from uh, when the supposedly the magi, the, the three, or not three magi, but the magi, who had studied the star charts and, and who had learned everything, studied the prophecies and, and the, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, they actually studied the word and found out, well, it's about time for Christ to be born. They were waiting for the Messiah to be born. And so that, that actual word, epiphany, we use it a lot, or people use it a lot, but it actually is derived from those, supposedly those guys who were like, had revealed to them that it was time for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so that was an epiphany. Well, now we use it for something that's revealed, okay? But the word theophany is a combination of two words, theos, which we know is God. We get the word theology from that, okay? Theo, theos. And then the, the root word, P-H-A-N-Y, is taken from the Greek phano, uh, meaning appearance. So a theophany is an appearance of God. Everybody got that? Theophany means it's an appearance of God, a visible display to human beings that expresses the presence and the character of God, okay? And they happen in Scripture several different ways. If you were to just start in Genesis and start reading, you would find these theophanies begin to happen over and over and over again in various forms. Uh, first of all, visible manifestations. These most often involve early in Scripture this character called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Now, this can be misleading because you think if it's got the word angel in it, which is just the word messenger, messenger of the Lord, okay, um, you think it's an angel. You automatically assume that it's an angel. But the angel of the Lord is, is an interesting character. If you start to study this character in the Old Testament, he appears in human form, uh, okay, but he is what I believe the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, before Christ became Christ. And we're going to talk all about that this morning. Um, but again, he, uh, this, it's when God appears in human form, but could also include other visible encounters such as um, the fire and the smoke on Mount Sinai, okay? God showing up in the tempest, uh, that sort of thing. Number two is audible or auditory manifestations of God. These are indicated by the, the many times we see in Scripture when it says, and the Lord said unto Moses, or and the Lord said unto Joshua. It was this, this audible manifestation, whether it was um, audible to only that person or they actually heard a, an audible voice. We don't really know. Bottom line is it was God. 
okay? Um, these also include unique encounters like the still small voice. If you recall the story of Elijah standing in the mouth of the cave, right? And, and he hears that still small voice speaking to him. It was also the, the voice of God. That's in 1 Kings, by the way, chapter 19, if you'd like to read about that. And then, of course, in the Old Testament, we often see dreams and visions. They can be associated, associated with theophanies as well because they display some of the characteristics of a theophany, but they're more specifically, I would, if I were able to categorize these things, I would say these are works of the Holy Spirit, that even in the Old Testament, the Spirit rested upon someone or the Spirit of God gave someone uh, a dream or a vision that they saw. And, uh, and so rather than it being an appearance of an actual physical appearance or visible appearance, this was more of a thing that happened in the mind and a work of the Spirit, which we also know that uh, God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit are one in nature, right? In Romans 8, 31, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. You can't separate the Holy Spirit from Jesus. You can't separate the Holy Spirit from God. And my point in saying that is that the oneness of the Trinity is never in question, okay? These are not three separate beings. These are three separate personalities or manifestations of one, one God. The Lord our God is one, okay? I believe that we should re-examine and rethink and reevaluate the way we look at some of these theophanies that we read about in Scripture because I believe that Jesus the Christ is revealed in Scripture before He was born as a baby in Bethlehem, okay? And it makes who He is so much more powerful. And I'm not just going to uh, tell you this, right, and, and pull it, you know, uh, out of thin air, I'm going to use God's word to show you why I believe, believe this is the truth. So let's review a, a few things really quick. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is establishing the sameness of God, okay? He's immutable. And we talk a lot about the characteristics of God. God is other than us. He is so much higher than we are. He is immutable. He is unchanging. He never changes. And so it's stating in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So yes, though he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, his character, the character of God, was existed before that moment and will exist forever and ever. Can I get an amen if you understand that? Okay, so John 17, 5 says, John 17, 5 says, And now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. Now, I've talked about this before, but this is so important for you to understand about Jesus. He's praying. It's right before He was crucified, and He's praying to the Father, and He says, Father, glorify me together with you with the same glory that I had before the world existed. So before I created all things, glorify me with the glory I had when I was with you in eternity past, before time ever existed. Y'all grasping that? Pretty cool, pretty cool prayer, pretty cool concept coming out of Christ's prayer. All right, so we, we also see in Scripture that only the Son has seen the Father because He existed with Him before time began, before the beginning. So look what Jesus says in John 6, 45 through 46. John 6, 45 through 46. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father 
comes to me. Now listen what he says. He, 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 he makes this clarifying statement. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Who do you suppose he's talking about? He's talking about it's Jesus, right? Okay, so this is also clearly stated in John 1, 18. John 1, 18. Listen to what it says. No one has ever yet seen God. And when he's speaking in this fashion, he's talking about the Father, except the only begotten God, which is talking about Jesus, right? We know from Scripture that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. The one being in the bosom of the Father, He has made the Father known. Now, the NIV says it like this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. Only He has made Him known. I'm going to quote one more. Don't you dare tell anybody that I quoted out of the New Living Translation, okay? But I'm going I'm to quote. No, I'm just kidding, okay? Here's the deal. Have yourself a good translation, and you can read the, the New Living or, or the message sometimes to kind of maybe shed some light. But I want you to understand those are not real translations, okay? Those are paraphrases of Scripture, so I would get you a good word-for-word uh, translation Bible, okay? Um, so it says in the New Living, it says, No one has ever seen God but the unique one. I love that phraseology, the unique one. The, the otherness of Christ, the otherness of God, who is Himself God. He is near to the Father's heart. He, Jesus, has revealed God the Father to us. All right, so I just read that same verse, three different translations, but you guys... Get that? Say amen if you understand that. Okay. All right. So these passages clearly tell us that God the Father has only been seen by the Son. That's it. God the Father has only been seen by the Son, and God the Father has never been revealed to man except through the Son. Do you all understand? He's only been revealed to man through the Son. Colossians 1.15 says this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image, and that's the Greek word icon, where we get the word icon. He is the exact representation of the invisible God. So that word invisible tells you he can't be seen. And, and that word seen actually means made clear or discernible. It's like you or I wouldn't even know, well, we'd die if we looked at, at, at God, all right? Or if he was even visible. We don't even know, at least from what I read in Scripture, when it calls him invisible, I don't even know that he is visible, that he's just undiscernible, okay? But it says, God, the firstborn of all creation, uh, again, he is the uncreated one. When it says the firstborn, it's not saying like your firstborn, like my firstborn child. He's saying he's the firstborn of all creation, meaning he created all things. Christ created all things, and we see that in other scriptures throughout the Bible, all right, so in John 10, 30, Jesus makes it very clear. John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So this gives us context when we read some of the other passages that, uh, that Jesus never separates himself from God the Father in any way. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 6, Philippians 2, verse 6, we've talked about this a lot recently, um, but it says this, Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
Again, that word equality in the Greek is the word isa, and it means equal to, equivalent, or identical. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about Christ, is He is identical to the Father. He is the visual representation of the Father. Do you understand? So the, the word grasped in Greek is harpagmon, and it is the, an object of eager desire or a prize to be attained. So what this passage is telling us is that Christ considered himself to be equal with God. He had equality with the Father. They are one and the same. He did not regard equality with God something to be attained, something that he had to, to reach for or grasp for because he was God. Do you understand? So I'm saying all this to establish that he did not have to strive to attain equality with God the Father. He is God. He is in the Father, and the Father is in Him. They are one and the same. Their characteristics are identical, and that includes the Holy Spirit as well. Whatever the invisible Father has sovereignly set out to accomplish for man from the beginning to the end, from the Alpha to the Omega, right? Whatever the sovereign God has set out, the Father has set out, those actions are expressed through and revealed in the person of the unique one, the uncreated one, the preeminent one, the Christ, the Messiah, and it has always been that way. He has always chosen to reveal Himself through the Son, even before, and here's where it messes with your head, even before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, He still existed, and God still revealed Himself through Jesus. All right? Now look in John 14. Jesus is actually, He's not scolding, but He's correcting Philip's thinking, all right, which is honestly what the Word does for us. That's how we need to approach God's Word. We approach God's Word understanding that pretty much in my humility, I understand that everything I know is pretty much wrong when it comes to what the culture teaches me, what the world teaches me, what my own emotions, what my flesh teaches me. I'm all mixed up. I'm all messed up. I'm wrong. God's word is true. God's word is right. I need to realign my thinking in, in, into what God's word states is truth. Amen? All right. So John 14, 7, Jesus, the word made flesh, is correcting Philip's thinking. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So he's making a very simple point to Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the father, right? You know me, so you know him. We're identical in character, okay? And he says in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Okay, well, Jesus says to him, have I been with you for so long a time and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own. But the Father, as He remains in me, does His works through Christ. Do you understand? So it's, look, I don't know if it's quantum physics. I don't know how it works. I just know God is outside of all of that stuff. And by the way, if you ever want to mess with your head... Uh, do a little study into quantum physics and the things that they're finding out. They essentially have come to the conclusion that there's no such thing as time or space, basically, because in the way that we think of it, that there has to be something eternal beyond what we consider to be reality. And quantum physics is proving that. Quantum physics is blowing everything up, okay? Um, 
Again, that word seen in Greek, so he uses that when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's uh, to stare at, to discern clearly, by extension, to attend to, to experience, and I especially like this one, or to have appear to, which is interesting that it perfectly describes the word theophany, God revealed, right? A revealing or an appearance of God. You have He's appeared to man. And once again, I'd like us to look at the passage on the road to Emmaus in, in the book of Luke, chapter 24, Luke 24. Um, just to set this up a little, a, a little bit, remember Christ has already been crucified and he is now resurrected and he's in disguise. And he finds these two men walking along the road to Emmaus and he decides to kind of uh, play undercover boss, right? And kind of kind of uh, jump in the middle of their conversation. And this is kind of what's happening. We get, to, we get to listen in on their conversation in the road to Emmaus. It says, and then he, Jesus said to them, because basically they were, I'm going to preface a little more here. They were lamenting the fact that Christ just died and, he, and here was, we thought he was the Messiah and he died and it's the third day he's supposed to be risen, right? And he says to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. That's Old Testament reference. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Remember, the New Testament didn't exist yet. It had not yet been written. So when it references the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, Jesus was showing them in the Old Testament all the things written about him. So I see stated in the passages we've covered this morning already that we have scriptural reason to believe that God the Father, who is invisible, unknown, indiscernible for humans, has always revealed himself through the Word, or His Son, the unique one, the uncreated one, be it walking with Adam and Eve and then judging them in the Garden of Eden, be it the smoking torch and the flaming oven that cut a covenant with Abraham, the hand that scribed the Ten Commandments on the tablets at Sinai, be it the cloud by day and the fire by night that led the Israelites in the wilderness, the man who wrestled with Jacob, wounding him when he touched his hip, and, and, and quite possibly causing him to have to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. The fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The voice that spoke to Job from the midst of the tempest, identifying himself as the creator, which we know that God's word tells us that Christ created all things, that all, through him and by him and for him and to him, all things were created. All of these instances in which God was revealed were automatically, we automatically assume that it's God the Father, right? We automatically just think, well, that's God the Father talking in Job, or that's God the Father speaking from the burning bush. When in fact, God is only revealed in visible ways through the Son, through the person of the word. One encounter that I would like us to look at is specifically in Exodus 3. We read it earlier, uh, but you guys all know the story. Moses tending sheep on the backside of the desert, and he comes across this burning bush, which incidentally, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but that bush represents Israel, okay? Israel is always referred to as some sort of a tree or a bush or something like that, right? Well, this bush was burning, but was not consumed. 
And this is a picture of the plight of Israel, that Israel would go through turmoil constantly in its existence, but it would never be consumed. Do you all understand that? So that's pretty cool in light of today's events and the things that have been going on in the last week. Israel's going through it again, and they will continue to go through it until the Lord brings them back to Him as a nation, and that's what the tribulation is all about in the end-time prophecy, okay? But I digress from my actual point. Let's get back to uh, what's happening here in this, uh, with Moses in this particular circumstance. So he's instructed to remove his sandals because he's on holy ground. He's in the presence of Almighty God. God tells Moses that his mission is to go tell the Hebrews that he has come on behalf of God to deliver them and also go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, okay? And of course, just like you or I, if we were put in that position, we would want to know who do I need to tell them sent me because by whose authority do I go to all the people of Israel? By whose authority do I go to the most powerful man in the known world and tell them what you've sent me to do? Well, let's read there again at Exodus 3.13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. John 8, 58. This is Jesus talking. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you that before Abraham was born, I am. He was connecting himself with the voice from the burning bush. He was connecting himself, making a statement about, here's another vocabulary word for you all, the aseity of God, the aseity. This means he is eternal. He is not bound by time. He has no beginning and no end. He, he has always been. I am. How are you doing today? I am. Whatever you put in the blank, I am. That's a statement of his aseity and his eternality. Do you understand? So that is an attribute that only God has. And he makes this clear by stating those two simple words, I am. In John 18, verses 1 through 6, John 18, 1 through 6, listen what happens in this, in, in this passage here. It's incredible. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went away with his disciples across the ravine of Kidron, where there was a garden which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas, who was betraying him, also knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having obtained the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, came out into the open and said to them, "'Whom are you seeking?' And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to him, he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Now then, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now first, this passage is skipped over and many believers don't even know that it exists. But I believe this is an incredibly powerful moment in the incarnation in the life of Jesus Christ. And I want to explain it to you. So the translation of this passage to me is a bit frustrating because if you look at the original text in the Greek, he does not say, I am he. He says, I am. 
And the response at that point is exactly what he said in John 8, the response of the people. He says, um, they drew back, or it says they drew back and they fell to the ground. By the way, this is the only time in Scripture we see anybody knocked over, all right? (laughs) And it had nothing to do with the the Spirit. This had to do with prophecy that had been uh, spoken of in the Old Testament, that this was going to be something that would happen, okay? But he spoke his name, his eternal identity, I am. And these men who came with weapons and torches to take them under, take him under arrest, they fell down on the ground. There was a very specific reason that this happened. They needed to understand exactly what was happening in that moment. Like Moses, they needed to know by whose authority was Christ about to be taken and executed. It had nothing to do with their authority. It had nothing to do with the authority of the Roman government because Christ could have called 10,000 angels to come to His side and rescue Him in that moment. But we get the answer in John 10, 17 and 18. John 10, 17 and 18. Jesus says, I lay down my life so that I may take it back. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. So in this moment when he did this, and this is cool, y'all. This is, this is why I'm talking about God's word, harmonizing God's word, finding things in the Old Testament that point forward to Christ the Messiah. Psalm 27, 2, listen to this prophecy. Psalm 27, 2. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. In Psalm 40, 14, let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame those who wish me evil. These are two prophecies in the Old Testament in the book of Psalm that are talking about this this moment that the Messiah would would speak His name, his, His character, His nature, and those who came to destroy Him would fall back and He would in that moment make a statement, you are not taking my life, I am laying my life down willingly. Okay? We know that this moment was determined before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Scripture tells us this in 1 Peter 1, 19, Through 20, it says he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, that this was God's plan from the beginning. There was never a plan B, a plan A and a plan B. There's always been a plan A. Revelation 13, 8 calls him the lamb who was slain before the world was made. This was something that God had planned in his sovereignty long before. So my hope this morning is to get you guys to rethink how we see Jesus revealed in the whole of Scripture, okay? He's not simply defined by His actions during His incarnation in the four Gospels. And that's where I see things heading in the body of Christ today, is that they're saying, look, you want perfect theology? Just read the four Gospels and what Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, I'm sorry, that was a window in a period of human history, and you cannot define God just by the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God is revealed from Genesis to Revelation, as we've seen. It's been His plan from the beginning. He cannot be defined simply by what happens in the New Testament. The Old Testament is is His story as well. Amen? 
It's all about Jesus. Every time God was revealed to any man at any time in the pages of Scripture, it was through the person, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Word who was, who was made flesh. It was just that in the Old Testament, it was that the Word had not been made flesh yet. The, Jesus Christ had not been named Jesus yet, and He hadn't been born in Bethlehem yet. But He had manifested or revealed Himself in many different ways across the pages of Scripture. And we do well to remember that the existence of Christ didn't begin at that time, that He's eternal. He is an eternal being, the great I Am. He created all things. His ministry, His works did not begin in the nation of Israel and only last for three and a half years. His works are eternal. He has existed again from eternity and will reign in glory for eternity, forever and ever and ever. He is the great I Am. And now His final revelation, listen to this, His final revelation to man is that book you hold in your hand. You read that last book, the title of the last book of the Bible? It's entitled, The Last Revelation of Jesus Christ. The Last Revelation. God's inspired Word is the only thing that should be held on the same level as what we read, the nature and characteristics of God in the Old Testament and His acts in the New Testament. We need to understand how to rightly divide the Word of truth because if you want to know Him and you want to know Him intimately, then you have to study God's Word and show yourself approved. That's, that's really what we're all about here at Bright Star is we want to study God's Word and, and submit our lives to the truth of the Word and uh, even the hard parts, even the parts that you have to chew on that upset your stomach, right? Because it's going to happen more and more as we head into the future, all right? Well, I appreciate you guys and your attentiveness. I hope you got a little something out of this this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you are encouraged by the truth of God's Word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's Word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you.